Donald Trump is no longer in the White House, but the America First movement is anything but defeated. In this episode, we're discussing the powerful and unstoppable movement to restore America. I'm Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. Long before Donald Trump ever became president, Americans all over the country were waking up and realizing that our liberties and national sovereignty were in great peril. Americans realized that the people who were elected to take a stand for our liberties and entrusted to prioritize the nation's sovereignty were not only failing, but it seemed they were doing so intentionally. Over time, millions of us would learn that a small oligarchy with influence over the most powerful societal institutions had long been working to destroy America and usher in a dark age of technocratic rule. The awakened Americans who know what is really happening evolved into what is commonly referred to as the America First movement. In the last few years, the America First patriots have dramatically changed the political landscape of the most influential country in the world. Trump's election was a strong indicator of how powerful this army is. My guest today believes this movement, which he calls Trump World, will be the physical force by which America will be restored. Dennis Barron is the publisher of the New American Magazine. He's a writer and researcher and the brainchild behind a new collector's edition bookazine from the New American, aptly titled Trump World. Dennis, thanks for joining me, man. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Always good to talk with you. Right. You're one of my favorite people uh, to talk to here at work. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So Trump World, I think, does a terrific job of explaining how the America First movement began and evolved into this powerhouse that today sends shivers down the spine of every propagandist writing for a left-wing rag. What would you like to add about the Trump World movement? Uh, why do you, as you make clear in this, in this publication, why do you think it's unstoppable? Well, I think the word movement is kind of key to what you're talking about here. And I think there's actually something more fundamental going on than a movement. A movement uh, in political parlance seems to imply that there is some level of organization and maybe some level of direction to it. Uh, it's something a little bit uh, top-down and, and, and there's a goal and there's a, an attempt to get a bunch of people to work together toward that goal. And I don't think that's exactly what we're seeing with what we're calling Trump world. I think instead it's more fundamental than that. It's a mindset, and the mindset precedes any movement that may arise at some point. Uh, in fact, it may even be more fundamental than a mindset. It may be an emotional attachment. And the mindset and the emotional attachment are amongst what I would cons consider a majority of the American people who fundamentally believe strongly, and they have an attachment to, emotionally, the ideas of America as a special place. Uh, the idea that America is the bastion of freedom, that that's core to their personality as an American citizen. That's why I say it's more fundamental than a movement. I think it's it's a mindset. It's the mindset of the majority of the American people. And that's important. It's more important, in fact, than any person that that movement and that, that, that mindset might then come to support in the case, in this case, being Trump, the president. Uh, what's important is the people and the mindset that they have and the emotional attachment they have to the, the fundamental factors of being an American citizen. There is a great deal of uh, content in Trump world that discusses the threat to America. Uh, Donald Trump, I would think, in a sense, he made the deep state a household name. 
we go into great depth into the deep state. Can you kind of rehash? Because I think there's also a lot of ambiguity regarding yeah. the deep state. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation. Uh, and then there's a lot of stuff put out there, especially by left-wing media, that we supposedly believe the deep state is. Uh, what exactly is the deep state? Uh, the first uh, the first article we, we in Trump world is called Trumping the Deep State. Yeah. And, uh, what is the deep state and what did Donald Trump do uh, to tick it off? You know, the first thing about the deep state is that it's not particularly exotic. I mean, I think when you first hear the terms the deep state, you think, oh my gosh, it's some dark and nefarious thing that's taking place. Uh, people working for some deep, dark agenda. And to some degree, that may be true, but it's much more mundane than that on its general everyday playing field. The deep state really is just the bureaucratic apparatus. So we have, uh, we have elected officials. Uh, we elect the president. We elect representatives and senators. And thus, they come and go. Some of them have long careers and some of them don't. But there is always a professional bureaucratic class of operatives, the professional mid-level managerial class of operatives within all the federal regulatory agencies and the federal bureaucracy and their careerists. And the permanent government? The, the, kind of a sense of the permanent government. Is it the guy who, who wrote into the New York Times? Yeah, you could put it that way. I think that's absolutely true. Now, these people all come from very similar uh, backgrounds. You know, the, the bureaucratic class wants to, you know, maintain its integrity as a group, uh, in a sense. And I don't think this is enforced by any, uh, I'm not saying it's enforced by any kind of, you know, rules and regulations, but, you know, you t tend to hire like-minded people. So you go to the same colleges, you go to the same universities, the people are affiliated with the same uh, organizations at those levels, and you hire like-minded people. And so you have a self-reinforcing group of managerial bureaucrats uh, that arise and people the bureaucratic agencies of the federal apparatus. And these people are always there. So this is the mundane managerial deep state, the, the, the bureaucratic class that just operates the agencies. And, you know, you see these people switching back and forth between private industry, uh, private private non-governmental organizations, and back and forth into government. So, you, you know, you see that with Big Pharma, for instance, with uh, people from the Food and Drug Administration leaving financial. their career. Yeah, and financial. They leave their careers in those agencies. They find themselves picked up by uh, either... Um, you know, private career organizations within those industries or with the companies in those industries and, and flipping back and forth. And it's a self-reinforcing managerial state at the high level of the corporate level and within the federal bureaucracy. And that's the mundaneity of where it comes in. You see this represented, in fact, in the Trump administration. There's been a lot of there had been a lot of coverage and a lot of talk about how elements of that managerial group within the federal agencies had a quiet rebellion to try to moderate or straight up prevent Trump's policies from being uh, implemented within the agencies that he purportedly directed as president. Uh, that's, that's an example of the deep state rising up against uh, what it saw as a threat to its existence. Is there a more sinister aspect of the deep state? There absolutely is a more sinister element of this. So, you know, at the managerial level, these people aren't concerned with that, I think, in, the most, in most cases, although some may rise through their careers to higher ranks. But at some point, there's a, there's a mindset as well. And that mindset is that uh, there needs to be an international organization as opposed to national organization. Uh, there needs to be uh, direction from the top through this international organization. And there needs to be adherence to the goals of this international organization. And that's where you start seeing international non-governmental organizations uh, come into play and in their alignment with international governmental organizations. Of course, the primary one there 
is the United Nations. And we have national-level organizations as well, non-governmental organizations, that have long supported this. Uh, the, the most preeminent one that people who are listening to this will know about, uh, because they've read about it in the New American Magazine for many years, is the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, which is tied very directly to the federal State Department and has for a very, very long time uh, directed uh, a carefully orchestrated move toward more internationalism in terms of its thinking as opposed to America first nationalism. Right. And Trump was not an internationalist. He was an America first. And some say that isn't necessarily the case. And I think we have people even within the America first, even within Trump world, according to our definitions, who argue that Trump world I mean, Trump, Donald Trump is not an America first guy. Maybe he's just a clever deep state stooge. And I would think right now the foremost example or support in support of that has been the vaccines that we're now dealing with that is relegating a lot of people to second class citizens. What do we say to people who perhaps think that this is just a a big, uh, you know, bowing down to and praising Trump? What do we say to those folks? Why do we believe he actually was an America first? And what do we say to those who are concerned about the detrimental uh, items or part of his agenda, his policies? Uh, I think it's a matter of time. There's a continuum of time here in which we have to look at this and its relationship with the the Trump world uh, mindset. And so let me explain that a little bit. I think when Donald Trump in his earlier years, and I'm talking even pre pre-presidency, I'm not sure that he was was not, uh, you know, somewhat participate, participating in the deep state. Uh, I'm not even sure that uh, he would have been an American first type of person. He may not have even been that strongly when he was first elected. But I think unlike most other presidents, maybe most other politicians in general, Trump can't be separated from Trump world. Trump world has been pushing Donald Trump. Uh, Trump world is, would push any, any politician that it would focus on. And I think because of the gravity that Trump world asserts toward the American first uh, ideals, toward Americanism, had a direct impact on Trump. And I think that was augmented, in fact, by the pushback that he started to receive from the opposite side, from the internationalists. So in a sense, I think there's, there was a convergence of Donald Trump, the man, with Trump world's Americanist tendencies, partly because of that push from his constituency in Trump world, partly because the opposite was pushing him away and pushing it toward pushing him toward that. And so I think we had a convergence of uh, someone who was a political neophyte without a well-structured agenda, without a well-structured political approach, being organically pushed from one side toward the other and pulled by that other side, Trump the Trump world side toward it, uh, just as a result of the dynamics of the political situation in this country. What are some results that are truly America first from the Trump administration? Well, you know, f- the first key thing, and I think which was extremely important, was that um, in the round of 2016, it was very, very clear that the key uh, internationalist uh, politician that was that was the fait accompli politician to assume the presidency, Hillary Clinton, uh, in my mind, she was a complete warmonger. Um, I 
was fairly certain that had she achieved the presidency, the entire deep state would have lined around her. The entire internationalist apparatus would have lined around her, uh, not only in America, but in Europe. And we would have seen a vast expansion of military activity and, and, and war making around the world. And that would have been very, very dangerous. The contrast and the very first place where that uh, shows a contrast with President Trump is that President Trump didn't engage in that anything like that level of military adventurism that I think Hillary Clinton represented. And that, I think, is partially because I think Donald Trump is a business person and maybe felt that peaceful business is uh, a more uh, important uh, a plan moving forward. But I think the other part of it is that America first and Amer Americanism is peaceful. Americanists don't view military action as the way in which the United States should conduct its business in the world. Uh, and that goes all the way back to the Founding Fathers, the Madisonian Principles, uh, the Jeffersonian Principles, George Washington. Uh, you, America doesn't go abroad to look for monsters to slay. This is a key part of the fundamental Americanist mindset, and that was projected onto and actualized, in my opinion, through Trump. And that's a key differentiating factor from uh, the internationalist establishment represented by Hillary Clinton, for instance. Well, I, I think it's illustrative in the, in the fact that Congress has not declared war. Was it since World War II? Yeah, and it's it's pretty much been it's been the bureaucrats who make these decisions and they send our folks overseas and whatnot. I would say it's probably because if they were to make it, if they were to ask Congress for permission, it wouldn't go through. Well, that's part of the key internationalist agenda, right? So the war-making power has been vested by the Constitution in the Congress. What if you could, as an internationalist, disrupt that? You need to disrupt that if you want to remove the United States as a nationalist force in the world. How do you disrupt it? You move that legitimacy for war-making power out of a nationalist context and into an inter internationalist context. That's exactly what's happened post-World War II. The war-making power de facto has been pushed onto the United Nations. No longer do American presidents come to Congress and seek war-making power first and foremost. They go to seek a United Nations resolution, and they try to, through the United Nations, uh, you know, get legitimacy for that uh, activity. And this goes all the way back, of course, to the Korean War. Uh, and it's been center stage ever since. And uh, you know, I think Americanists need to look at that and say, is that really appropriate for our, our nation, which is constituted to have the war-making power in the hands of our direct representatives outsourced to a world body that we have, as citizens, no control over? Speaking of international institutions, the United Nations, what else did uh, Trump, he, he, he worked somewhat, and he was somewhat successful in pulling us out of some of those entanglements. Uh, we, we'd probably look at, uh, we probably wanted more, right? But I, th right. I think that's something else to consider, right? Well, it, it is something else to consider. And again, this is a case where results and motivations may not match what Americanists want, but they're close enough to have been a break from the internationalist past. So I think Trump would look at, and probably did look at, and I think you could go and take uh, a review of some of his statements on these points. Uh, when he was looking at various trade deals, when he was looking at how to have trade deals with China and then make those in the to the advantage of the United States or uh, what you know, some of the other things that were, were taking place with regard to our uh, North American Free Trade Association remodeling, I think Trump was looking at those as what's good business for America. He wasn't looking at it from the fundamentals of Americanism. Uh, nonetheless, his instincts for business 
tend to align better with Americanist principles on uh, matters of that, that sort than the internationalists do. The internationalists, when they look at that, they look at it always as how do we level the playing field and remove America's special advantage that it's gained from having uh, a, an adherence to a free market economy and separation of powers in its government? How do we level that playing field internationally and take the United States down a notch while raising other people up? Trump was looking at it as how do we get the best deal as a business for the United States? That aligns better with the Americanist principle of getting rid of entangling alliances altogether. One of my favorite uh, articles to read in here was, I believe it was Steve Bias, and he wrote about what makes America great. And I think uh, there's a large portion, there's there's too many people who don't know that. Of course, that's been intentional uh, by the propagandists, because all we hear is about the stains, which I think are far overshadowed by the greatness of America. And, and I think the the evidence is in the millions and millions and millions of people who left their homes, their ancestral homes, to, to, uh, to a place that was uncertain, and they continue to do so, even in these uncertain times. Now, why don't you kind of rehash for us, what, what makes America so great? Is it, why is it worth saving? Well, first of all, again, it's the idea, it's the mindset. The United States is based on the mindset that anyone can come here, Anyone can live the life as they see fit here as long as they don't harm their neighbors. They can work cooperatively toward their own ends. Uh, they can do whatever business they're most attuned to doing. They can trade the goods and services that they are best at for supplies and, and things that they need. And they can do that without interference. And this is enshrined in our very governing documents. Uh, the U.S. Bill of Rights does not say that uh, government can give you certain rights and then take them away if it's justified. It says Congress shall make no law period. Congress shall make no law means that it cannot interfere with you unjustly. And that's not something that existed anywhere else in the world, frankly. Um, governments at all levels could interfere with citizens anytime they wanted to. This continues to be true if you take a look at other charters of government. For instance, in Canada or New Zealand, you can go take a look at their charters of government in those places. And before they enumerate the uh, so-called rights that the government says it's giving its people, there's always a clause, and you can go check these out, uh, that says, subject to when the government decides it might be a good idea to abrogate those rights. And they use some flowery language here and there, but those, those uh, get-out-of-jail-free cards, basically, that are written into these charters of government in all other nations in the world don't exist here in the United States. Here it's, Congress shall make no law, period. In Canada, in New Zealand, it is, you have the right to free speech unless or until it's inconvenient or we don't like it. So people want to escape that. They want to be free. People yearn for freedom. People have been yearning for freedom ever since this country was founded. The founders of this country yearned for freedom. They were willing to stake their lives, their liberties, and their sacred honor to bring it about against what at the time was the largest, most powerful military empire the world had ever seen. Uh, they stood up to that. People have been coming here to seek that freedom, to realize that freedom uh, ever since. People well over 100 years ago, my ancestors did it. And Paul, I know yours did it recently. Well. Uh, yes, yeah, they did, and there's this innate desire. It's a, it, for some, it's just such a passion because we all want to live in freedom, and we know that it's wrong when there's uh, a human authority above us who dictate. Who there's too many people, sadly, who believe that you know we talk about this often that 
government grants rights. And, and that's, that's insane. And I think there's a lot of people all over the world, even in the most uh, totalitarian societies, who know, if, if, not, you know, if not out loud, they know in their bones that that's wrong. Uh, my, my family was the same. Uh, my dad realized, it's like, this, this isn't right. We grew up, he was born in communist Romania. I grew up the first eight years of my life there. He risked his life twice. He tried defecting. He was unsuccessful. He, he, he served prison terms for, for that, uh, those unsuccessful attempts. We eventually got out of there, and it, it, we were in part helped by a relative who had already left Romania. He was an activist, and, and he worked, and he, and he really protested, uh, and he really collaborated with Americans to work to get us out of there. Nevertheless, we left everything we knew. Uh, this was our home. Uh, our families were there, and all for a chance to live in a place where we decide our future, where we decide our fate. And I think that's huge. It's huge. People don't understand. And I think there's a lot of Americans now, especially younger generations, who don't understand how important there is to just be left alone. You know, there, there's a rule of law, and, and we respect that. But otherwise, we just want to be left alone. Let us determine our lives. Let us determine. Give us the information. I, obviously, now with this COVID mania, there, there's a large segment we're saying, we got it. Give us the information and let us make the decisions on how we want to operate. We don't want to be told what to do. You're working on a project. You're working on a book. And I, yeah. um, in it, you detail the the grimmer aspect of what happens if America, because if America fails, there's a good chance that this, this world, that these globalists, these internationalists, this, the deep state has been working toward will become a reality. What does that reality look like? Uh, well, it looks like Australia. And I bring up Australia very particularly. Australia I, now. Australia today. Um, and I could say this about uh, some aspects of Canada or New Zealand or several European countries now, including Austria, probably as the, be the biggest example right now. All of these countries, if we go back a few years, but let's take it back to the Cold War. Let's take it back to the 1980s. All of these countries were part of the free world, so-called, uh, versus uh, the countries behind the Iron Curtain. It was very clear to everyone uh, everyone who was alive that you were either part of the free world or you were part of the enslaved nations behind the Iron Curtain. The free world was you know, identified by its respect for basic human rights, basic civil rights, uh, led by the United States and its constitution as the example to lead the world. This is what you're striving for, is a, a free nation, a free people under the rule of law. And the United States was the exemplar for that. And European nations, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, they looked to that and they wanted to be a part of that. We now have the formerly free nations of the world absolutely throwing out all that past history and embracing tyranny as a COVID response. Now, that hasn't happened to the same degree here in the United States as it has in those countries. Now, why is that? I already hinted at it. In those other countries, the Charter of Government says your rights are contingent upon whether they're convenient for the government. That's not the case here in the United States. Plus, we have uh, a federal division of powers and responsibilities between the federal government and the states. So we have 50 independent, quasi-independent states with their own laws and regulations, uh, representative bodies and governors. And we have the, the powers that are reserved primarily to the people. 
so this division of power doesn't exist in other places. Because it exists in the United States under our Charter of Government, under the Constitution, and with its philosophical backdrop in the Declaration of Independence, it is not nearly so easy to overthrow the ideas and pillars of freedom here as it is elsewhere. If that's destroyed here, since there isn't in existence anything like it anywhere else in the world, it's over for freedom everywhere in the world. The United States is the last bastion of freedom in the world. It must be preserved. The Constitution is not optional. It cannot be allowed to be overthrown. Uh, it must be supported. And support can only come from a free people who is moral and ethical, as our founding fathers uh, said was necessary, and a free people who is willing to understand the basics of their government, understand what their citizenship requires from them in a civic aspect, and to work as good citizens of that republic for themselves, for their families, and for their neighbors. We're going to go back to that because there's also, Gary wrote a nice short uh, article in there on how to get involved. Um, but I wanted to mention, first of all, you mentioned Australia. What's happening there is insane. They have COVID camps now. COVID camps. COVID camps. I don't know if there's anyone else. That, I would imagine maybe China. Uh, but I'm not sure. But it's insane to think what happened in Australia. The book I wrote with a with a friend of mine who actually defected from Romania, and he ended up in Australia, and he chose it. And he chose Australia because it was one of those places that was known to be free. Again, like you you had mentioned, people from behind the Iron Curtain were constantly risking their lives to defect to places to to free countries, and one of those was Australia. So to see what happened in Australia. Uh, is is just is really is really crazy. They have COVID camps now, and you know there's reports of people who are escaping COVID camps as a prisoner who's in there for for whatever for murder, armed robbery would escape a conventional prison. Let that sink in. Um, but they went over the wall. <laughs> but you, they were rounded up and they were brought back. Unfortunately, they were. They were captured by the police and they were reincarnated. Yeah, fortunately, or they or they would have infected uh, someone. Anyway, that's <laughs> we. But you actually, you uh, have the last entry in Trump world, and as you're very optimistic. I am optimistic. You're very optimistic. The last two, three sentences in in, in this issue say, "Freedom will prevail. The republic will be saved. Trump world will keep America great." Why, why do you have so much uh, confidence in this, that freedom will prevail in this movement that we are, I think we're part of and probably lots of our listeners are part of will prevail? Because What's the, happening out there? There's perception and then there's reality. And the perception is enforced through the mainstream media at all times constantly that the mainstream, and we use that word specifically, the mainstream of American thought is against Americanism. The mainstream of American thought is against self-determination. It's against self-reliance. It's against freedom. It's for internationalism. It's for socialism. It's for heck, it's for communism. That is what the impression mm -hmm. that's given is. So if you watch any of the mainstream media, consistently messaging on that on that side is is what's given out. That's what's spoon-fed to people who are watching it and reading it. It's a lie. It's a straight-up lie. And you can start to see the lie because take a look at Joe Biden's polling numbers. Uh, currently, almost 60%, I think it's 59.2% in one of the most recent polls of American people disapprove of President Joe Biden. 
Well, I think that number is lower. Well, I, I think that it oh, might be higher. I think it may it might be higher, but I think that matches up pretty well with what I would say would be the majority of American people being part of Trump world. Um, I think that the number of people who voted for Trump, that's clearly a big contingent of Trump world, but there's even more people beyond who, uh, for one reason or another, they didn't like uh, President Trump's demeanor. Uh, he's kind of an unpolished guy. He's kind of brash. He may have had some questionable things in his past. They didn't like him for that reason, and so they might have voted for Joe Biden because that's the respectable guy. But they don't like his policies. That's the key thing. Trump world doesn't like the policies of socialism, doesn't like the policies of division, doesn't like the policies of racism that's being pushed from the top. None of that's American in, in character. It's all anti-American, and Trump world is pro-American. And so when I, I, I see the number, like 60% of Americans are disapproving, as was recently reported yeah. uh, just in the last few days, of the current president's administration and the job he's doing, to me that's, that's indica- indicative that that Trump world fraction of the majority of the American people isn't going to sit by idly and, and allow the destruction of this country at the hands of socialists. Not going to happen. So I'm very optimistic that those people, they still love this country. They love the, what the country has always stood for. They love what the country's founders had in mind for it. Even if they sometimes disagree on uh, matters of how things should be done in particular cases, the general feeling is positive toward the country. And that group of people is not going to sit idly by while socialists destroy the country. So I'm, I'm 100% optimistic that uh, we're going to live through this and we're going to prosper as a free country moving forward. And we're going to lead the, lead the world back to freedom. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I, I think everyone listening, and I certainly hope that's true. I, too, am optimistic. I, I see other indicators. I deal with the media a lot. I, I read what's happening out there, and, and then I keep up with uh, what folks are writing, and even especially in, in left-wing spheres. And what I'm seeing from, from a lot of these publications is I'm seeing a lot of fear on their side. There's a lot of warning to their readers who still believe the drivel that they're putting out about all these uh, these movements that, that are coming out. Uh, there's always a, a far right, you know, the far right is doing this, the far right. And it's always something that threatens, whether it be, the th- threatens the apparatus, the establishment apparatus to some sort, you know, far right or, or protesting critical race theory in schools all across yeah. the country, you know, because how dare how dare we? Yeah. How dare we not uh, allow you know uh, institutionalized racism to prevail to be taught to our kids? I think it was yesterday or the other day. Axios did a piece on um, to the effect of that the, the right wing is building its own echo chamber, and and what it was referring to is there are, there are now these apparatuses popping up uh, because that's what we do. You know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna push back. We're not gonna whine and whatnot. But they're concerned. They're concerned because there is an uprising. Uh, th- well, I don't know if uprising is the right word. It's uh, it's just people waking up. And, we, yeah. you know, the, the New American wrote, was a few months ago, the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening is happening. It's continuing to happen. It started many, many, I would say, you know, we document that it could have started years ago, uh, even back with the Tea Party and even before that. So people are listening and perhaps they want to know. It's like, well... Okay, this is great, and maybe they're not involved, and we we go through that as well. What are what are some uh, some uh, bullet points of how people can get involved? Say, well, you know, the first bullet point that you can get in, do to get involved is be fully informed. That's the starting point. Don't just watch MSNBC. Don't just watch CNN. Don't just watch Fox News. 
Don't just read the New York Times. Don't just read the Atlantic. Do all of those things, but then also read dissenting sources. You need a full picture. You're not going to be fully informed if you're just glued to MSNBC, I'm sorry to say. You're going to get their side of, of the story, and they're primarily propagandists as opposed to news reporting. Worst thing about that is they pl- they they play at being objective, and they're not. They, they're not objective at all. They're lying to you from day one. But don't, go ahead and continue to watch them because you need to know what they're saying. But be fully informed. Second of all, information is only trivia unless you can act on it appropriately. And you need to be a good American citizen. You need to take your civics responsibility, your civic duty seriously. Uh, so once you take that information, you're fully informed, go out and talk to your friends and neighbors. Help, help them know uh, what's happening. And then make sure you act locally. Act locally by supporting good candidates for local office, whether that be in your town, your township, your city, your county, your sheriff's office. Make sure you you, you work with your sheriff to make sure you elect a good sheriff as leader. Uh, A lot of our problems start and end with uh, electing good local officials. That, that work at the local level is great education for moving up and supporting the proper policies at the state level and then, of course, at the federal level. And at the federal level, what's very important is our House of Representatives. A House of Representatives, those, those folks there, the, the, the people that we elect, every two years they have to run for re-election. That means they're very responsive, and this is on purpose. It's, their position is designed to be responsive to the electorate that puts them in office. So because they need to run for their job every two years, the people who are in the, the electors where those office, office holders are running for election exercise a great deal of influence. So if you want to see your representative support freedom, peace, and prosperity, uh, as a good American should, you can make that effort happen. So by organizing locally and supporting good candidates and then supporting the issues for those candidates, you can get the point across to them quite effectively. And that's very, very fundamental toward moving the country in the right direction. Well, we actually have a great tool to... uh to help folks know yeah. who those uh, who who the best candidates are, who right. constitutionally minded candidates are, and we're working on the next edition of that right now, and that's the Freedom Index from the New American Magazine. And and every so often during every uh, congressional session, we put out an analysis of uh, key votes on key pieces of legislation, and we look at it from whether or not that's an Americanist pro-freedom position or not, based on how every representative voted. And uh, it's a great tool for you to dive in to find out, okay, what did my representative do with regard to this particular piece of legislation? Did they vote in favor of it or against it? Uh, and what was their position? And what what would the, the proper freedom-based position be? That's great information that you can then take back, uh, mm-hmm. and you can congratulate your representative if they did a good job. Uh, you can uh, take them to task with a, a, a bit of chastisement and say maybe you should have done something else and here's why. You can educate them a little bit. And by the way, don't think that just because so-and-so got elected to federal office, they're somehow um, uh, omniscient and know everything there is to know. You know, that's not how it works in America. Americans are free citizens. Every single person has a good uh, knowledge base, you know, and every single person should be willing to share that knowledge base, and that includes back up to your elected representative. Maybe they don't understand the issues and how they impact you in your local area, and you need to educate them, and they might appreciate that. If you don't get in touch with them, they're never going to know. It's one of the best tools to also to also be able to tear to take the veil off of, of rhinos i would think oh absolutely uh there's a lot of people going around pretending to be constitutionalist or who, who care about freedom and whether they know it or not they're not yeah you have a lot of votes where you know some crazy democratic socialist agenda just got pushed in congress and somehow uh the house voted in favor of it and you'll read that 18 democrats supported it and you're left scratching your head what the heck was this why are these 18 republicans supporting this 
crazy yeah. Democrat socialist business. Well, you can find that out in the Freedom Index. You'll learn about it, and you'll identify who those people are, and you can work to correct them. Well, a good example is, I was it this surveillance va- uh, measure disguised as a vaccine database? Yeah. What, how many Republicans voted for that? It had to be, what, is like six or eight or something? Yeah, it was enough maybe to get more. it through. Now, what, what Republican would vote for that? I think that's a Republican in name only. Maybe they should maybe switch parties. <laughs> well, Dennis, I really want to thank you for, for chatting with me. Now, uh, where where can folks get uh, Trump World? Well, they can get it at thenewamerican.com, but I've got a special offer that we just started this week, 25% off. Trump World Collector's Edition. I should say it's 96 pages. There's no advertising. It's 100% editorial content, the best photos ever. You can get it for 25% off right now. Limited time offer. Go to trumpworld.thenewamerican.com. There's a promotion code there, Trump25. You put that in at checkout. There's going to be a link to take you to the checkout there. It's easy to do. Um, I think this is a great issue. We've got some of the best writers in the business uh, who wrote this issue. Uh, I want to call out William F. Jasper. Those of you watching this, you'll probably know who Bill Jasper is, and rightfully so. He's been doing fabulous work for decades. He's one of the best investigative journalists uh, in the world, has been for years. He's a fantastic writer. He knows more than anyone. He's forgotten more than most people know, <laughs> as they say. We have quite a few folks like that. <laughs> yep. So, you know, Bill's written uh, some fabulous stories there. Alex Newman, uh, he's coming up in Bill Jasper's uh, you know, footprints. He's a great writer, great guy, very fundamentally solid, Award-winning investigative journalist Yeah, well. award-winning investigative journalist. Great article in there. He's done, he's done the timeline. You want to check that out. It's fantastic. Uh, so Trump World's available right now, trumpworld.thenewamerican.com. 25% off, limited time. Great Christmas gift, uh, stocking stuffer, if you want to put it that way. Um, I recommend everybody get a copy. Some people don't like Trump. That shouldn't make you stop, from re- stop you from reading Trump World because I think you're going to find valuable insights there regardless of where you stand on Donald Trump himself. Well, folks, there you have it. If you enjoyed our discussion you'd really enjoy Trump World. You can order a copy at trumpworld.thenewamerican.com. They're also available at shopjps.org. Check out the links in the description below. Also, we encourage you to get in the fight to restore America if you haven't already. Join Trump World. If you don't know where to start, I recommend you consider the John Burr Society. We have 62 years in the trenches of activism. We have a nationwide organizational structure made up of chapters from coast to coast and a mountain of content about who and what threatens our liberties and how to stop it. You can learn more about us at jbs.org, and you can use the Act Now tab to apply for membership. Thank you for listening, and Merry Christmas. Are you concerned with where America is headed? If not, you should be. So let's get busy on solutions. At the John Birch Society, our staff and members have over 60 years of experience in pushing back on outrageous abuses of government. Our tools are truth and education. Our methods are tried and true with scores of successful operations. Join together with the tens of thousands of members of the John Birch Society nationwide to make a difference. We have professional staff strategically placed all over the nation and will provide the training you need to be a success. We will provide the materials you need to be a success. We will provide the esprit de corps that comes with working in concert with tens of thousands of members nationwide on the same goals. If you want to bellyache and do nothing, don't join because we don't want you. But if you're a patriot, 
and you love our country and want to preserve the blessings of liberty to the next generation, then we need you in the fight today. Not soon, today. Let me clarify, today. Go to jbs.org and get involved right now. And remember, the Constitution is the solution.